नमस्ते टुडे वी आर प्रिविलेज टू हैव गौतम जी विथ आस इन गोवा एंड वील बी कंटिन्यूइंग आर इंटरव्यू सीरीज दैट वी हैड स्टार्टेड लास्ट टाइम विच वॉज कॉल्ड लिविंग द टीचिंग्स ऑफ साई बाबा इन केस यू मिस द फर्स्ट एपिसोड आई विल शेयर अ लिंक इन द डिस्क्रिप्शन विच यू कैन हैव अ लुक एट एंड गौतम थैंक यू वंस अगेन फॉर जॉइनिंग अस Gautam uh, in this themed interview i would like to ask you some questions on surrender and if you could shed some light for devotees to have a correct and deeper understanding of what surrender truly means sure nikhil firstly it's a privilege for me to be back on this channel and i have seen how popular it is becoming with sai baba devotees and it's all thanks to your tireless efforts so keep it up you know i don't think many people know this but it is gautam who is responsible for the book and the channel's creation it was his idea when i first told him i met i he said you know she's a very special devotee of baba and at the time i was not much into sai baba so he said although you may not be but you must document her stories into a book for them and i said to myself my god you know what am i doing or what have i got into and that's how the love story with baba and i began and then uh, gautam suggested the interview i uh, so the first interview took place and that actually founded the channel so thank you from me and from all the devotees so gautam is the one who's set this thing into motion ultimately it's baba we are absolutely. just instruments absolutely my mother's guru used to say something beautiful when people would thank him he would say thanking me is like your left hand thanking your right hand so we all coming together thanks to the grace of the divine so talking of grace gautam uh, on surrender how does one truly surrender to sai baba see surrender itself is a loaded word because invariably we hear people saying i have surrendered this is my situation i have surrendered now this actually needs to be looked at more closely in the egyptian times you know the hieroglyphs which were carved the symbols which were carved on the pyramids and in the ancient egyptian temples they had a symbol for surrender which was like this which meant above the mind which means it is not the thinking mind that can surrender in fact when we see the police say hands up this means surrender because your hands are also exposed but see where these ancient symbols come from now what can one surrender actually there is so much which happens in life which we have no control over at all most of the circumstances around us have been placed before us right from the time 
when we were young, the school we went to, the economic strata we were born into, the geographical location we were living in, were not in our control. And these shaped us. This became our conditioning. So, so much of our conditioning was also not in our control. And then the journey of life began. And then something happens, most likely adverse, which we do not like, a difficult situation. And then we realize that no matter how hard we have tried, this is beyond our control and we surrender. So, true surrender means this acceptance that whatever happens is God's will. That is the true surrender. It is not an individual me saying, I surrender, because you have nothing to surrender, because everything is given to you. What is yours to surrender if everything belongs to the Divine, to God? What can the individual surrender? The individual can only surrender its sense of doership. I did this. I did not do this. This person did this to me, so I hate him. This person did not do this, so I don't like him. So, doership is what the ego can surrender, its sense of doership. And if you read the Sai Satcharita, you will see various pointers in the stories where this aspect of doership is being pointed out to. So, what happens is when we realize that neither me nor the others do things because it is God who is in charge of everything, we stop blaming, condemning, hating, judging. This is the true surrender. We stop finger-pointing to individuals because we know that this is, as one says, the Leela of Sai Baba. In this regard, Baba would emphasize on seeing him in every form, not as an act of doership, but essentially he would emphasize that he pervades all forms as consciousness. So, to have that understanding that you wouldn't that automatically reduce the I and the me? Absolutely. This is exactly what happens when one truly follows the teaching of Sai Baba. And it's no longer just a concept or theory or just reading a book like the Sai Satcharita, you see. This is when one starts living the teaching. When you can see that everyone in your life, especially people you don't like, are instruments of the Divine, instruments through whom Sai Baba operates. What happens? 
you start accepting more and more for people the way God has made them. You start accepting yourself for the way you are made. And the inevitable result is a sense of peace and equanimity which starts settling into your daily living. This is precisely the point which you have raised, is when we see, now the example which I usually give is in the kitchen, we have various gadgets. Each is designed to bring about what it is designed to. The toaster produces toast, the juicer will produce juice, the microwave will heat the food. But without electricity, all these gadgets are dead instruments. Similarly, it is consciousness which animates us, you, me, he and she. It is the same consciousness, the electricity, which runs through all of this. And we are instruments through which consciousness functions. That is one way to look at it. So with this understanding settling in, one start seeing things through this different plane of understanding. The focus gets reduced from individuals with their natures, characteristics, to an understanding that the same light, the light of consciousness shines through everyone. And this is why Sai Baba has said, God is pure Consciousness. As a practice for devotees, especially those who are new to the teaching and to Baba, could them taking this practice of just being aware of the I or the me when it arises in forms of stories, especially this happened to me, someone hurt me, or why did this happen? Would just becoming aware of this tendency to arise be a good beginning point? It is an excellent beginning point. It is, it is the beginning and the ending point. <clears throat> Sorry. You see, Nisargdatta Maharaj, who was uh, an Advaita master, passed away in, the, in 81 or 82. He gave an excellent pointer to this. He says, every time we are referring back to the me, this happened to me, I heard this. It's always coming back to me, me, me. So he said, simply change it around. Instead of saying something happened to me, say something happened, full stop. He said this to me. He said this, full stop. So what happens is this intense focus on me, which we are all living with, that starts diminishing, that starts reducing. The burden the me carries of what the world has done to me, what I have done, that starts releasing. So this circling back to the me, which if we look at in one day, how many times we are keeping on coming back to this me identity. It is astonishing. You will be really surprised as to how 
often this thought keeps coming back. So that is why these teachings are presented to us. They diminish this sense of a separate identity with its sense of doership, which is the me. And when you say something happened, it becomes so much simpler, may not be easier, so much simpler to accept it when something happened to me, which should not have. Gautam, in most people's cases, the troubling point for them is their mind, is the incessant thinking. And if one has truly surrendered, that would subside majorly because you essentially surrender to the will of God and life flows. So one question I had around this to you was, could you suggest a few practices for this? For example, if someone has uh, thoughts which essentially are either assumptions or could one begin to question the reality of thoughts as a practice? You see, what needs to be looked at is the thinking mind. There are two aspects of the mind. This is what my teacher Rameshji would say the working mind and the thinking mind. The working mind is needed to perform tasks. The thinking mind, which goes into the dead past or an imaginary future, that is the problem. So, let us take an example. Let's say there is a surgeon who is performing an operation. Now, at that point, his working mind kicks in because he utilizes all his experience to conduct the operation in the best possible way. Now, supposing just before the operation, someone tells him, look, you better be careful because this is a very powerful politician. God forbid if something goes wrong, you are going to be in trouble. Now, when the surgeon is performing the operation, if the thought comes, my God, what if something goes wrong? That is taking him into an imaginary future. You see, it is taking him away from the present moment. So, the thinking mind is what takes us away from the now. And it is the thinking mind which is to be arrested. So coming back to your question, this is what happens when witnessing starts happening. One can see that the mind is engaged in incessant thinking. Most of us, we just have to see how much thinking is going on which is connected to the dead past or an imaginary future and it is 90% of the time, fear-based thinking. What will happen to me? So, in a sense, it is just the seeing. It is not even a practice as such. It is not something one has to work and concentrate on in a very hard way. What you have mentioned is a simple seeing of patterns. What has been happening with me so far? Where are my thoughts leading? Just that seeing is enough to create this gap 
between the incessant thinking and the witness of that. That is what starts happening naturally. That is why all the masters emphasize, you know, so many times that please don't just read our words, but try living the teaching. This is what it means. You know, Gautam, there are people who write to me who are in extreme situations of agony, without a doubt, you know, either a critical illness, terminal illness maybe, you know, some have lost everything. Now, in situations like this, could you give some pointers? I will give you an example of someone who came to me. We are talking of an extreme example. Is a young man who is working in Kabul, Afghanistan, running a hotel and he has a staff of about 100 people under him. And he first sent me an email where he said there are so many bombings going on all around that I don't know whether I'll be alive the next minute. That is the situation, the extreme situation. Now what happens when you come across a teaching of Sai Baba's or any other masters which you relate to? You first accept the situation that this is where I have been placed. If I was not meant to be here, I would not be here. But I am placed here. Now, this does not mean you like it. It is human nature. You may be uncomfortable with it, but acceptance is the first step. Thereafter, if you just take this analysis step by step, in his case, let's say, he has accepted that he does not know what the next moment brings. Sometimes it gives him deep peace. Sometimes he gets frustrated. So what happens? Witnessing happens that I am at peace and witnessing happens that now I am feeling a bit tight and constricted and fearful. That is when the awareness starts kicking in. Otherwise, Normally, what we do is, we are so engaged and entangled in this web of thinking that we have no other vision possible. But with these teachings, one can see that in a very objective way, this is what is happening. So, supposing you get involved in thinking, a lot of stories are created, this, is, this might happen to me, a lot of negativity, so to speak. At some point, that thinking gets cut off. And you realize, my God, the thinking mind was really galloping away. Now, that cutting off is the grace. Because you were too involved in the thinking, so it is not you as the thinking mind who has cut off the thinking. It is the grace, the awareness, the light with which you see, which makes one realize that, my God, I was involved in that stream of thinking. This starts happening more and more. This starts happening more and more in the sense that one sees and that involvement starts getting off, cutting off sooner and sooner. 
So whereas you were involved for long duration of time, that starts reducing. What is the result? A mind which is not engaged in excessive thinking is a mind at peace. Eckhart Tolle had spoken about three things you can do in a difficult situation. One you already spoke of except. Then either you can change the situation or you walk out of the situation. Now there are common threads I see in emails that I get from devotees. Either they are being harassed by a family member or just difficult situations in general. Now could you talk about these three things and its application in situations for devotees? See, this is a very individual um, related subject, you see. But let us go a bit laterally for now and talk about free will because that comes in here. You see, Dayanand Saraswati said when someone asked him, do we have free will? He said, imagine a goat which is tied to a post on the ground with a rope. Now, the goat can only move around to the length of the rope which it will be allowed to move around. It cannot go beyond that. So, the free will the goat has is that within the length of that rope, it can graze or move around to the extent it can. Beyond that, it cannot go. So, does the goat have free will? To the extent of the rope. Who decided the length of the rope? The goat did not decide it. You see? This is a very important point. Because the masters have also said that there are so many aspects as we just spoke about conditioning, for example. So many aspects, our parents, the way they brought us up, the school we went to, our religion into which we were born. None of this is in our control, right? So on all this, we base our decisions. Our decisions are based on what we think and our thinking is based on how we have been shaped. So is it truly our decision if we had no control over all the factors which made me who I am, I had no control over that, then is it truly my decision? Yet a decision needs to be made. Because I cannot sit back and say, I won't do anything, let God decide. Because that itself is doership. Because it is in one's nature to act in a certain way. So coming to this example, and as you mentioned, Eckhart Toller, I don't know if your channel base is aware of him, but his book, The Power of Now, is uh, immense contribution to living life in the present moment. So, in a situation, as you rightly said, do I stay? Do I walk away? 
or do I try to change it? This will depend on how the individual is designed to take which step. It has to be thought about and it has to be implemented. But with the teaching, what happens is these are seen objectively, these options are seen objectively. Invariably, what happens? Let's say someone is harassing us. So it's always me versus the other person. It's always finger pointing, he is doing this to me. And the focus is only at that level of the relationship. Now Sai Baba himself has said, everyone comes together on account of Rinanu Bandhan, the cosmic debt of a former relationship. What does it mean? It means you first cross this hurdle. You accept that this person is an instrument of the divine, which we've already covered. Once that is done, you see objectively your options before you because your thinking mind is no longer embroiled in the bandhan, in the bondage. And then what happens is a decision is taken, whichever it may be, based on true understanding, not as a reaction to a situation, as a response to a situation. This is precisely the meaning of Ganpati. Because Ganpati is the aligning of the third eye with the Manipur Chakra. When these two are balanced, that is why the trunk. Proper decisions are taken, not ones where the me is embroiled in the circumstance like a chakra view and cannot see a way out and is getting sucked in and sucked in and sucked in. And that you take the decision, knowing that the results are not in my control. There are very few devotees who are so committed to Baba where their whole existence is essentially Baba and that is admirable to even know them. I is one such example. Now, these devotees' lives also have difficulties. It's not that they don't have, you know, there's loss, uh, many things go wrong in their lives as well. But there is a underlying peace which they experience throughout that time as well. Could you speak a little bit about that? The ones who have surrendered to Baba. You see, that is coming back to the main point. The outcome is peace of mind and these are living examples of that. Because they have accepted that life means pleasure and pain. Many of us don't accept that. Many of us are running away from pain and only want pleasure, 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 which is not possible. You see, a river has two banks, the banks of pleasure and pain. That is why Nisargadatta Maharaj said, between the banks of pleasure and pain, my life flows, which is everyone's life. But we want to be just a river to have one bank. It is not possible. 
because the design of life is duality up and down left and right big and small rich and poor black and white pleasure and pain when we accept this duality of life this is the nature of life that is the first step towards peace and then we have a master like sai baba who gives us so many more dimensions to access this peace could you speak a little on that you see the whole satcharita which for me is the main work all the stories are operating at different levels one is the level of the story and one is the level of the peace flowing through the story and the acceptance that when one starts reading it from that prism one starts imbibing that now again you have mentioned uh, let's say someone like i i has seen enough hardships in her life right but why is that sense of peace not lost because of the not because of faith in the way we ordinary people think of faith we think our faith depends on getting things we want that is an honest truth but true faith is the faith that whatever happens is the will of the lord heaven is to be found in the heart of the man who has total faith that whatever happens is god's will so they are not setting up their will against god's will like this is what i want will sai baba give it to me i want this they are not circling back to the me like we do they accept whatever comes from the divine as his will that is why they live this peace my teacher used an example he said life is prison imprisonment we are imprisoned in this body we are imprisoned by our circumstances that is why the buddha said samsara is dukha samsara is dukha nirvana is shanti nirvana is peace so my teacher would say ramesh ji would say that what we human beings do is we convert what is simple imprisonment to rigorous imprisonment you see how by the sense of doership by blaming hating condemning judging hatred malice malice envy jealousy blame guilt shame all the things baba would say that one has to get rid of and all these drop away mm-hmm. when you accept that nobody truly does anything that is called living the teaching that is what baba means when he says i give people what they want so that they may want what i really want to give them 
Gautam, when you see this from the outside, like I see a situation of similar nature being faced by I and some other devotee, it also seems like it is one's attitude and outlook to life which is very vital. Could we speak a little bit about that? Where if a same situation, I totally understand the genetics and conditioning and the karmic markup for why it is happening and how they will react and that being preordained. However, my question is, if a same situation, even if the same individual faces at different times in his life as the understanding deepens, because of his change in attitude, his response to the event may be totally different. So could you speak on that aspect? You see, what happens is, I will bring in the example of Nisargdatta Maharaj again here because it beautifully illustrates this. Now, he was a someone who was called a harsh master. He was very direct to the point and anger would arise every now and then because that was his nature. Now, one day, somebody asked him a question in his satsang and he got angry. And he said, you have been coming to me for so long and you are asking me such a stupid question. So this man bowed down to Maharaj and said, but Maharaj, what can I do? God made me stupid. And in the next moment, Maharaj burst out in laughter. Now, see, this is very important. Referring back to your question, which is a very valid point. What we would do is, when anger arises, we hold on to that anger. So, we will not allow ourselves to laugh the next moment. Our minds will say, he made me angry, now I must pretend I am angry, I must act angry and I will be angry. With masters, what is seen that anger arose in this body, it could arise in another body. So, the anger is seen objectively and then a story is not made around the anger and one is involved in the duration of time. So, each moment is honoured for what it brings. In this case, the next moment brought laughter. But there was no, this man has asked me this question, I have got angry, now I am going to be angry with him throughout, how dare he ask me this, that dialogue was not there. Similarly, in our lives, we will be faced with situations all the time and we may react because we are not Buddhas. We may not be able to control, let's say, anger, for example. But with the light of the teaching, shining on it, with the light of understanding, what happens is that the involvement gets cut off. It completely cuts off. So, when you are faced with a conflict situation, you will see that earlier, you got embroiled and lost in that, in arguments, in uh, any banter, you know, unnecessary banter, that involvement starts dropping away. And that is when the divine light 
of peace shines through. I will give you an example on a, in a lighter vein. I was having coffee once. There were three people, three of us, one, two, and me. And 20 feet away on a table was a girl wearing a dress. So the person on my, uh, on my left said that, oh, that's such a lovely yellow dress. And the person on the right said, don't be silly. That is not a yellow dress, that's a light green dress. Now these two kept going on and on about whether the dress was yellow or green. So the person on my left asked me, isn't the dress yellow? I said, yes. The person on the right said, isn't the dress green? I said, yes. So they said, how can you tell us both that it's yellow and green? I said, look, you all have been for the last five minutes going on and on about the color of the dress, totally trying to prove to the other what color it is. First of all, that girl is not concerned about your opinion about the color of the dress. Secondly, through your eyes, it appears yellow. Through your eyes, it appears a shade of green. Why don't you just accept that and let it go? You see, we don't hold, we hold on. We are holding everything so tightly to us as if it is the truth. In this case, something as simple as the color of a dress. But why not just accept that another's point of view can be equally valid as yours. You may not agree with it, but end it there. So this is with the teaching. As it is, Sai Baba has specifically said, do not engage in slander, do not engage in criticism of others. I can assure you that many of us who are Sai Baba devotees do all that. But yet we will pray to Sai Baba. That is our nature, that is fine. What happens with the kind of work, let's say, you are doing with the channel is that we are showing Sai Baba lovers ways for the teaching to permeate into our cells. That is the beauty of these kind of exchanges, this kind of sharing, so that together as one, we can live the teachings of the Masters. Absolutely. And in fact, once all this stuff that people hold on to falls away, then it frees them up to just be. And my next little question before we end is, you know, in that freer space of peace and joy that they begin to experience, you know, to divert the mind to Baba, to divert one's whole being to Baba in form or the formless aspect. Like take sadhana for example, whether it's meditation or you know japa, because if one is fighting with somebody else, their family members, they are forever embroiled in conflict, it's very unlikely that if they sit for meditation, they'll be able to experience any peace either. So once this gotham, this starts falling apart with this understanding. Could you talk a little bit about some sadhanas or just where then their mind is focused at Baba's feet or Him, you know, in form or the formless aspect? You see, Nikhil, the beauty is 
that this starts happening on its own. For example, as we started out by saying, Sai Baba has said God is pure consciousness, right? When we no longer focus on individuals, when we understand that it's the same consciousness functioning through them, this is already happening, okay? Or like you said, replace each form with Sai Baba's form. That is also a very common spiritual practice that is happening. Why is it happening is because one is living the teaching. It is no longer theory, it's no longer reading a story of uh, in the Satcharita and keeping the book aside, but living it. That is why they say it is so important to not just read words, you see. And what happens is when your mind, instead of being full of thinking, is what is it replaced by is thoughts of Sai Baba, thoughts of pure consciousness. Already the garbage has been dumped aside. So it is a natural process. That is what Eckhart Tolle calls living in the now. Because you are not doing anything to live in the now, but living in the now is happening because the thinking mind is not engaged in an imaginary future or dead past. It is happening. You see? That is why in some esoteric traditions, the symbol of the cross, which is this, refers to, this is the past and future, the dead past and the imaginary future, and this is vertical time, this is thinking in the duration of time, this is the now, and where they intersect, that is living in the moment, that is where they say time stands still. What does that mean? It means living in the now. So it happens. You see, another thing is that when these stories or when one reflects on aspects of what Sai Baba said or, you know, things he did with people, Nisargdatta Maharaj was asked a question, which was, does it help being near a sage, sitting in his presence? And Maharaj thought about it for a bit, and his answer was, the trees near a sandalwood tree in a forest start emitting the same fragrance. Which means, by just being in the company of the sage, one absorbs and imbibes. Now with Sai Baba, how would that work? Being in the company of Sai Baba means what? Having his teachings in mind all the time, having his form in mind, if we prefer that mode. But it cannot be that you are just in front of your temple for 15 minutes doing puja True. and the rest of your day is a mess. True. Many of us do that, you see. But satsang with Sai Baba is with every breath. 
not as a practice in a corner and then you have terrible relationships with people around you that is not satsang with sai baba you see so this is needed to understand that life living it is a meditation it is not a practice where you are doing something or puja or something by all means this is not trying to negate that but this is to say that that has to go into mm-hmm. life absolutely now let's take meditation as an example sitting quietly for 15 minutes half na vana whatever how does that impact the full day because with meditation supposing for 15 minutes or half an hour what happens is one is witnessing the thoughts witnessing is happening without doing anything just as you see traffic going by on the road you are separate from the traffic you're not running away with the cars right you are witnessing the traffic going by on the road in meditation one is giving oneself the chance to witness the thoughts which are coming across the screen so what happens in those 15 minutes and half na is there is awareness that these are the thoughts and the witnessing of the thoughts is happening now this goes very far because during your day this starts permeating through the day this separation between what is happening and the witness of that that is why the masters say you are not what happens but you are the space in which things happen so similarly when sai baba's teachings are in one's consciousness throughout the day this is an automatic process that the situations life brings you you will feel that you are handling them differently than you were earlier because you have been living that understanding that is the beauty of it you know on that note uh, i would like to have another talk with you gautam which we will continue on what you just said very rightly this 15 or 30 minutes of puja and it must translate into daily living and you know i wanted to ask you certain pointers on true spiritual progress which we'll do in our second interview sure so gautam thank you for this thank, thank you. you for your time and uh, yeah please stay tuned we will be asking gautam a whole lot of questions in a whole series of interviews so do stay tuned om sai thank you